your seats. How can it be a great line to keep in our heads? How can it be that we are in Christ's kingdom? Well, good morning. I'm Tim Butler. I'm an elder here. Thank you for coming today. If you're a regular or if you're a new attender, thank you for being here. We have some connect cards in the back. For those of you here for the first time, feel free to fill that out and put that in the back box. And we've got a little gift for you. So we're going to continue on a series, but we'll catch you up. If you're coming just for the first time this week, we'll catch you up. We're in Colossians, and Paul's telling the saints there a whole list of things they shouldn't do, right? No, he's not. He's actually kind of going the other direction. But he's trying to sort of untangle their theological beliefs, and he's presenting truths that sometimes they're even a little bit hard to understand. But the church he's talking to, what they were doing is they were practicing their faith through self-abasement or asceticism, which means they're focusing on not doing all kinds of things, not eating things, all in an attempt to sort of prove their religious state. But it ended up being overly self-focused, which is part of the problem with sort of these self-help books. They all focus on self. And so focusing more on self is never the answer. And maybe it's It's like a child who's trying to please his parents, and so they focus on what they don't do in an effort to sort of be pleasing to their parents. But in reality, they just want, parent just wants the child to stay in touch with their heart. And that's what God wants from us, and that's what Paul is telling the churches. They were practicing kind of a blend of of oriental mysticism, Jewish legalism, and then Greek philosophies. And Paul was trying to say, you know what? It's Christ. It's Christ alone. So he says in the previous chapter, we'll get into our text in a few moments, he said, you guys have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Why do you keep practicing them? You've died with Christ. So imagine if you're in that church and you hear that there's a guy named Jesus who lived about 25, 30 years ago who died to pay the price for your sins and then he rose from the dead. I mean, that in itself is pretty tough to understand and accept. But then Paul said, you know what? You've died with him. What? That does not make sense. As a matter of fact, you've rose from the dead with him. Okay, so it's really easy to understand why they were still doing things the old way because what's up with this new way? It doesn't really make sense. And Paul was reminding them that the game has changed. They're now new creations in Christ, loosely analogous to a company being bought by a new owner. Same company, different culture. So you'd work at the same company, but you practice things differently. You would do things differently. Or maybe like changing grades within the same school building. Same building, different culture with a new grade. And just as baptism symbolizes the old life dying with Christ and the new life rising up from the water, but the body stays the same. And we're going to witness that this morning after our closing worship set, which will add kind of an emphasis to what Paul was talking about. So in Christ, we're dead to the control of sins in our life. We're dead to the requirements, the do's and don'ts of the old ceremonial law. But we're now empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit to follow Christ. And we're free to have thoughts that are aimed in a godly direction. But we still have this old body that's aimed 
not in a godly direction. We still have this old potential for thinking ways that aren't healthy and aren't godly. And Paul's saying that old thinking can get us in trouble by leading to old acting, right? Thoughts lead to actions, just like an old habit. So before we enter our text today, why don't we just seek God's presence together? God, thank you for uh, letting us be part of your kingdom. God, thank you for loving us enough to send your son to die for us. Yeah, we can't comprehend that. We accept it, but we really don't understand it. So God, teach us how we can be better Christ followers, and not to earn more points, but to really bring honor to you. So God, as we enter the text, I pray you would make this text alive to us, that it would really um, speak to us as you want. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the first couple verses. If you have your copy of God's Word or if your phone is wired up, Colossians 3. We're going to read a couple verses in there. Let's call Colossians 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I'll stop there for a second. See, we're all in different places in our spiritual journey, and that's totally okay. So for some of you, this might be sort of a new concept, kind of a foreign concept. But if you've accepted the fact that you're a sinner by virtue of your birth, by virtue of coming into this world, you are filled with sin because that's what's in the world, and you were born into it. And you need Jesus to pay the price for that sin. And then you've died with Christ, you've raised from the dead, and now you're living a life that Christ gave you. Not on the outside, but on the inside. So you're not a slave anymore to old thoughts and actions, you're a new person. But inside, the stuff that you think about, the thoughts that go through your head, need to be similar to Jesus' thoughts. And so he says, seek the things that are above. Paul says that, set your minds on the things above. Remember when Jesus rebuked Peter in the Gospels and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. So there's intentionality that goes along with this new life, being born again or reborn, that death and and resurrection thing. It's asking ourselves, what are God's interests versus what are my interests? I'm more comfortable talking about my interests And it's selfless to talk about God's interest. It's harder. It's a growth for me. So I said before, we know that thoughts lead to action. I can't always control the thought that comes into my head. That's called subconscious. But I can control the thoughts that I keep in my head. So Paul's instructing the Christians there to seek Christ-centered thoughts. And that's certainly helped by spending time in the Word on a daily basis. That's certainly helped by spending time in worship. Yesterday I had sort of this confliction of emotions going through my head for some variety of factors. And I was in my car and I just flipped on the radio and I began just to worship God. And there was an amazing transformation that I just, in my soul, when I engaged in worship, in spite of what was going on, the peace that came to me. 
Situations didn't change, but I just sensed God's presence because I am now setting my mind on God's interests. And the more time we spend with God, the more time our thoughts, our minds will be lined up in the right direction, and the more our behavior will be lined up in the godly direction. In another passage in Philippians, Paul told the Christians to work out their own salvation. That doesn't mean they had to work to earn their salvation. That was already done on the cross. But it does mean that they or we need to live out our salvation by controlling our thoughts, making our actions pleasing to God. Not in a legalistic way, but in a Christ-honoring way. Much, much like a parent and a child, right? The child just wants to honor their parents, not simply just obey. And we do that with the help or the grace of God, the Spirit living within us. But there's this sort of natural tension of the old nature and the new nature. And Paul validated that tension in in, uh, Romans. He said he finds himself doing the very thing he doesn't want to do. And I'm sure we can all relate to that. And the book of Romans is a great book just to kind kind of focus on that struggle and focus on the old life and the new life and kind of see how it happened. I I recently spent several months in Romans. God just kind of called me back into it. I just kept kind of rolling over in that book. So I always encourage when somebody's reading the Bible, go for depth, not distance. If you only read one verse and it really ministers to you, great. Just don't go for time. I often tell people to start with the book of John and they'll come back. I'll tell them that in session. They'll come back like two weeks later. Okay, I'm good to go. What next? Like, slow it down a little bit. Just take your time and go through it slowly. But I want to read a passage um, from a book. Andrew Murray has this great book. Thanks to Kathy Marsh, she turned me on to it. Abide in Christ. And he, he paints this word picture that I think we can relate to. I hope you can. It kind of resonated with me. And so I'm going to read a text for you. Now, this book was originally penned in 1888. So some of the language is a little bit old school, but I'm guessing that we can probably translate it in our minds. So he says, let's think of like a grafting of a tree, the instructive symbol of our union to Jesus. This illustration suggested by the Savior's words, Jesus said, make the tree good and his fruit good. So I can graft a tree so that only a single branch bears good fruit, while many of the natural branches remain and bear their old fruit. A type of believer in whom a small part of the life is sanctified, but in whom, from ignorance or other reason, the carnal life still in many respects has full domain. So you take a big tree, just whack off one branch, you, you lop on, you graft on a new branch, And that new branch is bearing the right fruit, but all the other branches, they're not really getting it. They're sort of bearing the old fruit. And so there's a form of new life with that tree, but it's kind of limited. And then he paints kind of the next story. Or I can graft a tree so that every branch is cut off, and the whole tree becomes renewed to bear good fruit. And yet, unless I watch over the tendency of the stems to give sprouts that they may again rise and grow strong and robbing the new graft of the strength it needs, make it weak. Such are Christians who, when apparently powerfully converted, forsake all to follow Christ, and yet after a time, through unwatchfulness, allow old habits to regain their power, and whose Christian life and fruit are but feeble. So there's another way you can graft that tree and cut off all the branches and graft on new branches. But you still got this whole trunk thing going on. And the potential for new things to grow out of the trunk, 
new sprouts, old ways of doing things, is what he's saying. It can kind of come on you, and you're sort of, again, conflicted. But if I want a tree wholly made good, I take it when young, and cutting the stem off clean at the ground, I graft it just where it emerges from the soil, and I watch over every bud which the old nature could possibly put forth until the flow of sap from the old roots roots into the new stem is so complete that the old life has, as it were, been entirely conquered and covered of the new. Here I have a tree entirely renewed, emblem of the Christian who has learned his entire consecration to surrender everything for Christ and in a wholehearted faith wholly abide in him. And then he goes on to draw kind of a funny little word picture. What if the tree could talk? What would the tree say? Here's where it gets kind of thick with the 1888 language. So work with me on this one. This is the tree talking. When thou graftest me, O spare not a single branch. Let everything of the old self, even the smallest bud, be destroyed, that I may no longer live in my own, but in that other life that was cut off and brought and put upon me, so that I may be wholly new and good. And then after the tree's grown for a little while, yeah, the tree's got speaking, speaking abilities. Here's what the tree says. In me, that is in my roots, there dwelleth no good thing. I am ever inclined to evil. The sap I collect from the soil is in its nature corrupt and ready to show itself in bearing evil fruit. But just when the sap rises into the sunshine to ripen into fruit, the wise gardener has clothed me with a new life, through which my sap is purified, and all my powers are renewed to the bringing forth of good fruit. I have only to abide in that which I have received. He cares for the immediate repression and removal of every bud which the old nature still would put forth. So a little bit of text left, but the tree's done talking. Christians fear, not to cl- Christians fear not to claim God's promises to make thee holy. Listen not to the suggestion that the corruption of thy old nature would render holiness an impossibility. In thy flesh dwelleth, dwelleth no good thing, and that flesh, though crucified with Christ, is not yet dead, but will continue to seek to rise and lead thee to evil. But the Father is the husbandman. He hath grafted the life of Christ on thee. That holy life is mightier than the evil life. That holy life is mightier than the evil life. Under the watchful care of the husbandman, that new life can keep down the workings of the evil life within thee. The evil nature is there with its unchanged tendency to rise up and show itself, but the new nature is there too. The living Christ, thy sanctification is there. And through him, all thy powers can be sanctified as they rise into life and be made to bear fruit to the glory of God. And so the roots are there. The roots have not left. And that tension of new life, old roots, goes on. It says in our text, until we're called to be with Jesus in heaven, and then the new life will be revealed on the outside and we'll lose the old body and the old nature in the old root structure. Because our text said, for you've died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who's your life, appears, 
then you will also appear with him in glory. So we walk that tension, and we desire to have our tree cut off at the base, to really understand our new life in Christ, and to really be able to have the thoughts that are focused on Christ, not just a set of things to do or don't do, is what Paul's saying. So let's go on in, in, in verse uh, 5 of, of Colossians 3. Verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion. And that word passion, the Greek word is pathos, which is more of a, of a depraved passion or a vile passion. It's not passion for life. It's not energy. It's, it's really sort of that perverted passion, uh, the evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, one of the major themes in the Old Testament was idolatry the warning against it. And in this case, in the New Testament, Paul's referring to the sexual sins that become more important than God. And they become idols, modern-day idols. And anything of the old nature that got in the way of their pursuit of God could be an idol. And Paul knows their mindset. He knows their tendencies towards alternative devotion or alternative passion. And if we're honest, we can see idols in our own life. We can see things that we can put in front of God. Simple things. Maybe even social media is more important than my time with God. Maybe my cell phone is more critical than my Bible. Maybe my reputation as a parent is more critical than a walk with God. Maybe my status is more important than people really knowing that I walk with Jesus. So whatever the thing is for you, we all kind of have our own idols. There's a lot of good things, and even there's some sinful things that can really attach to our heart. Because at the core of idolatry is the heart, which is why we're told in Proverbs to guard our hearts. And that's what Paul's really after in this whole ta- chapter, is where's your heart? More than just simply a bunch of things you don't do. Go on to verse 6 in Colossians. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming, referring to the sexual sins he was just talking about. And in, in these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to each other, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of Creator. See, we can't just decide what we're not going to do. But with the help of grace, what we help of God's grace, what we are going to do instead. You can't have goals like I'm I'm not gonna fail the test, I, I'm not gonna speed, I'm I'm not gonna be disobedient to my parents. A negative goal is not sufficient. So he says, put away, put off, don't do those things, but put on the new self. Let the inside shine through to the outside. I am going to study. I am going to obey my parents. I often use a metaphor of, I can't have a goal in life as to not go south on 75. I'm just not going to go south on 75. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm just not going to go south on 75. If I put in my head and in my intentions and I go north on 75, what won't I do? I won't go south on 75. So if I've only got a negative goal, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you're going to focus on it. You're going to do it. But if you plug in what I am going to do, guess what? You won't do the old thing. Because as a Christ follower, our hearts are really lined up with God, aren't they? Until they're not. And then we fall off the trail. And that's kind of that natural thing 
a battle that we face daily. We're constantly being renewed. We're constantly being renewed in the knowledge of what pleases Christ. How to be a Christ follower. How do I follow Christ? In Romans 12, to this verse that you might be familiar with, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. And that renewal process is an ongoing process. It's not a list of things you shouldn't do, but it's an aim for knowing and doing the will of God, like staying in touch with the heart of God. Let's go on to verse 11 in Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 11. Here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is in all. Christ is all. Paul says, I don't really care about your heritage. The game has changed. Your amalgamated patchwork theology doesn't work. Now it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ in Him alone. And then in verse 12, he says this, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. But above all these things, just put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So it's not only about living our lives without idols and making sure that our actions represent a devotion to God, but it's also important to actively love each other. And forgive each other. Love covers a multitude of sins, it says in Peter. So Paul's telling the church in Colossae to strive for personal holiness and peaceful harmony. So we wrap up the chapter with verses 15 and 7 to 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I mean, there's just, there's just sort of a, um, there's a guarantee if I'm living my life understanding that I'm a sinner and that I need Christ, and if I'm aiming myself towards God, the peace of Christ will rule in my hearts. That's in the midst of whatever's going on. And that's an intentional peace that is a combination of God's grace and my efforts. Let that peace rule in your hearts and be thankful. And let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's not enough to just pray. I need to pray and let the words of Christ dwell in me. I need to read the Bible. Not just to check a box, but to really know what is the heart of God and how can I follow that in thought and word and deed. And not simply checking a box by reading the Bible. Let the words of Christ richly dwell in you, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your heart to God. The reason we worship up here is to put those songs in your head and your heart to understand, communicate messages through rhythm, 
through music because it resonates with our soul. There's so much to be said for that. And so he's saying, you know what? Do that stuff. And not just once a week for an hour, but do it every day. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In the name. That word name in our culture means what we call you. But in the Hebrew culture, it can also imply something real, a piece of the very nature of the personality whom it designates. Expressing the person's qualities and powers, as one commentator put it. So it's more than just a four, seven-letter name. It's a piece of the person. And so when Paul says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're acting in the full consciousness as if Jesus was there. If what we are doing, thinking, saying, cannot stand the test of Jesus' presence and approval without our being ashamed, as the first third song said, then it isn't appropriate. So doing things in the name of means in the presence of or in the understanding of. I'm a Christ follower. I am following Christ. And I need to look like and sound like and act like I understand that we're together on this journey, Jesus and I. So let's recap what Paul is saying to that church and see if God is saying anything to you through those words that Paul is speaking to them. So the first thing is, aim your heart towards heaven. There's sort of a devotion of what is my heart locked onto. Aim my heart towards heaven. Live like you died to the old life and look forward to the new one to be revealed in heaven. Put to death sexual sins, sins of the tongue, which don't work with that new life. Number four, wrap yourself up in Christ-following virtues, especially love, and live in peace with each other. And then let your conversation, your words, your worship, be full of Christ's words. And let your actions and words be said and done under the view of and with the pleasure of Jesus. So it's not a new Christian form of legalism. It's understanding the fact that I'm dead to the power that sin has over to me. That sin has over me. I am now free to follow what Christ has called me to follow. But that root structure down there is pumping up stuff that I really don't like. And I'm not going to get the roots torn out until I'm pushing up daisies. So as long as I'm alive, I'm managing that root structure, but I want myself cut off right at the ground. And I want Christ grafted on right there. The worship team can come forward. You guys can stand up, and we're just going to pray together. So let's stand up and pray. Father God, some of these things are easy to understand. Some of them are hard to understand. And God, you know that some of this stuff is easy to follow and some of it's hard to follow. 
And it's easy in this room, God, to feel so holy and to feel like, yeah, my whole life's devoted to you and this is great. But God, we leave this room and Monday comes and Tuesday and Wednesday and we can get caught up and let our hearts just sort of go in the wrong direction. End up worshiping things that aren't you. End up thinking things that aren't you. End up doing things that aren't you. So God, I'm asking for just an abundant presence of your grace this week in our lives. And that if we don't know you, if we don't have a, have a sense that we are following you, God, that we would even seek to do that and understand that we're not created for ourselves, we're created for you, and maybe we're not walking with you. So God, I pray that we would do that today before we leave. And so this week, God, allow us to find your peace through your presence. In Christ's name, amen.